Well, as Stacy mentioned, I am a mom of two wonderful kids. And when I became a mom, and even to, in the months leading up to the mom, and the, month, the le months leading up to it, and the years that have followed, I have received a lot of advice, some of it unsolicited advice, but a lot of advice, some cautions and some warnings about the challenges of motherhood. I've received advice about the terrible twos and something I'm anticipating in the future, my kids becoming teenagers and the challenges that go with that, and just a lot of, okay, you gotta watch out for this, you gotta be careful about this. But one of the hardest aspects that I have found about motherhood, no one ever warned me about. And that is my job as a mom to tell my kids to do the right thing even when I know they may not experience any immediate benefit from it. See, it's easy for me to tell my kids, hey, you need to work on your penmanship, or you need to respect your teacher, or you need to be kind to your sibling. Because in all of those situations, I can see there will be some immediate benefit from them doing those things. But when I have to tell my kid, hey, that kid that said the unkind thing to you, make sure you say something kind back to them. Or when I have to tell my kid, I know that person cut in front of you in line, but you just need to be gracious about it. Or yes, you do need to share your toys, even though your friend may not share with you in return. Those kind of situations, it's a bit harder for me as a mom. And yet, I continue to tell them to do the right thing. Because even though I know that they may not see the immediate benefit, I know that ultimately, doing those hard things, loving others, even if they don't see that love in return, I know that ultimately it is for their good and for God's glory. And throughout 1 John, the, the writer has been telling us time and time again, he's had this similar challenge of you need to love others. And he reminds them that they also may not see the immediate benefit, but it is important for them to do. So if you haven't already, please turn with me to our passage. We're staying in 1 John, we're in chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 17. And as a reminder, just to set the context, since we're starting in the middle of the chapter, a reminder that last week what we looked at was John really hit hard on the fact that we need to love one another. That our lives as Christ's followers need to be characterized by love for others. And he picks up that conversation in verse 17 when he writes this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Again, reminder, John has just been saying you need to love, and he says you should love in such a way that love is perfected in you. And then he's gonna tell us what that means for our lives. And he continues, he says, we love, why do we love this way? Because he, because God, because Christ first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then he continues in chapter five. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. If you love the Father, if you say you love God, you are going to love those who are his. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. As we said, John has just been talking about the need to show love to one another. It's a, it's a, a, a commandment and a concept that he has repeatedly brought us back to in this letter to the church. And he said in verse 12, he said, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides with us. You've not seen God face to face, but if you wanna know if you are in God, if you remain with him, then his love is perfected in us. And you might have read that and you might have thought, well, what does that mean? And he picks up that concept. He says, I've just told you, you need to love one another. And you should love one another in such a way that you could say, his love, Christ's love is perfected in you. And he's, but what does that mean? How will I know if I am loving others in such a way that Christ's love is perfected in us? He tells us in the very start of our passage, he says, by this, I'm going back to that question, by this, his love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. How do we know if we love so much, we love so well that we can say Christ's love is perfected in us? We know that when we have confidence as we anticipate his coming judgment. But how can this be? How can we not fear coming judgment? It is only because of Christ. Because as John reminds us in verse 13, perfect love casts out fear. Who is the only one who has perfectly loved? There is only one man who has walked this earth who has perfectly loved everyone he encountered, who perfectly loved his disciples, who perfectly loved his brothers, who perfectly loved the Pharisees, who purposely loved those who sent him to the cross. There is only one man, and that is Christ. And it is only in his love, when we recognize that his love is covering our sins, that we can look forward to the coming judgment and we can say, because of Christ's love, I can have confidence. Christ is the only one who has been in this world as we are, as John writes in verse 17. And yet, has loved perfectly every single person. And so it is only because of Christ, it is only in him that we can anticipate the judgment that is to come and as it says in verse 17, be confident. And so we need to, point one, confidently rely on Christ's love. Why can we be confident as we rely on Christ's love? Because it's perfect. He has perfectly loved us. He has perfectly loved you he has perfectly loved me. And that perfect love sent him to the cross for our sins. And because of that perfect love, he has covered our sins if we repent and put our trust in him. 
And so as we learn about God and we know that God is holy and that God is just and that God can have nothing to do with sin, we can say it is only because of Christ's love that I recognize that I should be condemned to death. And yet Christ took that penalty on my behalf because of his great love for me. Now you may be thinking, okay, I get that, but Natalie, I know a lot of people who are not fearful of their coming judgment, who they, are, they think that they're confident because they don't really believe who God is, and they don't really understand that they are going to be condemned. It's, it's important that we recognize it is possible to be foolishly fearless, right? We can say like, oh, well, I don't fear the future when we don't really understand what the future holds for those who have not had their sin covered by the cross of Christ because they have not repented and put their faith in him. It is only those who truly recognize who God is and how unworthy we are of being in his presence and how much we deserve death and punishment and then have turned from their sin and trusted in the love of Christ that can rightly be confident in the judgment that is to come because they know it is Christ's love that cover them. It is not their own works of righteousness, but it is Christ's love that assures them that they will have everlasting life with our God and King. This isn't the first time in this letter that John has addressed this confidence that those who are in Christ should have. 1 John 2:28 says, "And now little children, and now little children abide in him, remain in him, be with one as with him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming." How can we have confidence as we think about the God and Savior who is coming back to this world when we recognize that it is only because of his love that we will not get the judgment that we deserve? We can never love well enough on our own to be confident as we anticipate judgment from a holy God. It is only because of Christ's love that we can look at that day fearlessly, that we can say his perfect love has cast out fear as I look forward to that day where God will assess whether I am his or I am not, whether Christ has covered my sins or I have tried to do it on my own. And because of his perfect love, we can anticipate that day with confidence and without fear. John reminds us that we have a response to this great love, this perfect love that Christ has poured out on us. He picks up in 1 John 4, 19, and he says this, why do we love? We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. It's impossible to say, okay, I love God, but I'm not gonna love my sisters and my brothers in Christ. That person is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, if you can't love those that God has put in front of you, the flesh and blood of his children, then you cannot love God whom you have seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
if we are going to say that we are going to confidently rely on Christ's love and that we truly are going to love him in response, we need to point to genuinely love God's kids. Genuinely love God's kids. You may have noticed that John changed his terminology a little bit between the passage we looked at last week and the passage that we're looking at this week. He talked a lot last week about loving one another. You need to love one another. And obviously, in context, he was talking about those in the church. But he brings that point home really clearly when he says, you need to love your brothers. That's what he says in our passage. If you say, I love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. And whoever loves God, verse 21, must also love his brother. Who are you supposed to love? You're supposed to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You are supposed to love those who are part of God's family. And it's important to remember that our love for those in God's family comes from him. It is his love being poured out through us, which is how we love our brothers and sisters. And last week we looked extensively at what that meant. We looked at different words to describe the kind of love that we have received from Christ and the kind of love that we should be pouring out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we looked at that extensively, I'm not going to review that here, but I am, or I'm not going to go into depth that here, but I am going to review it briefly. I just want to remind you of a few of the ways that Christ has loved you and in turn, how you should love one another, how you should love your sisters in Christ. The first way that I want us to consider how Christ loved us is he loved us humbly. He did not love us for his own benefit. It says in Philippians 2 that he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He did not hold and cling to what was rightfully his, but he emptied himself and gave himself up to the point of death, even to death on the cross. He did not say, this is what I am owed, this is what I am due, this is what I should get. He said, I'm going to give that all up for the sake of loving others. And ladies, we need to be willing to do the same. We need to say, how can I love others? Not because of what will happen to me as a result. Not because of how other people will think of me as a result. Not because it is what I am owed and what I am due. But how can I love others in such a way that I put their needs and their desires and their conveniences ahead of my own? A second way that God loved us, that Christ loved us, is undeservedly. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were in opposition to him, he took on the penalty for our sins. Not because we deserved it, not because we were so lovely, not because we had such great smiles and were such beautiful people, he loved us while we were his enemies, while we were opposed to him. He loved us even though we didn't deserve it. And you might be thinking right now of someone in your small group or someone in your social circle who you have constantly poured out love to and they have rebuffed you or they have not returned it in kind. And you may be thinking, I've done this. I know I'm tempted to do that. I've done that. I've checked the box. I've done what I'm obligated to do. But Christ went beyond he didn't love us because of what we deserved. He loved us because of who he is. 
And we need to love our sisters in Christ, not because of what, how they deserve to be treated, but because of who God is. Similarly to that, Christ loved us extravagantly. Christ loved us extravagantly. John 15, 13 says, greater love. You want to know the epitome of love, the absolute pinnacle of what it means to love someone. There is no greater love than you would lay down your life for your brother. And that's what Christ did for us. Christ laid down his life for us. He loved us extravagantly. It cost him so much and he did it. He took on that, that weight and that sin that we deserved, that punishment that we deserved, so that we could benefit. It wasn't for his own benefit, it was for our sake that he did that. And it trans- if we are his daughters, it transformed our lives. We need to love others in such a way that our love, the love that we share from Christ to them, transforms their life, that their life is different because of the love that we've poured out on them from Christ. Another way that Christ loved us was selflessly, selflessly. 1 Corinthians 15.3 reminds us that Christ died for our sins. There was no sins of his own that sent him to the cross. He didn't bear that punishment because of anything he had done. He gave of his very self in order to show us love. And the truth is, we may never be called to literally lay down our lives for our sisters in Christ. We may never be called to sacrifice the air that we breathe and the beating of a heart for the sake of our sisters. But God does call us to give of ourselves, to give of our time, to give of our finances, to give of our conveniences, to give of our comfort in order to pour out his love on his daughters, on his kids. And the last way that we need to make sure that we genuinely love God's kids is honestly. We need to love them honestly. Think about Jesus. Jesus never hesitated to be candid and forthright in calling out sin. He said to Peter, get get thee behind me, Satan. Those are harsh words, but he recognized that there was a serious reality that he needed to honestly deal with, and he did that. Proverbs 27.5 tells us better is open rebuke than hidden love. And so we need to be honest with our sisters in Christ. We need not, not shy away from those difficult conversations because our Savior does not shy away from them. But ladies, we need to also recognize that while we may be really eager to honestly love others this way, we need to also be willing to receive love from our sisters in Christ when they are being honest with us. Because they are loving us enough to risk the relationship, to risk their comfort, in order to have difficult conversations because they love Christ more. And so we need to be able to be honest with others, but ladies, some of us are really quick to do that, and yet we don't want to hear it when others are honest with us. And we need to recognize when our sister in Christ comes to us and has that difficult conversation, that is a genuine act of love. 
and we need to hear it and receive it as such. Genuine love always, always points people to Christ. 1 John 2.10 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. How can you love others in such a way that you are sure that you are genuinely loving them, that you are constantly making sure that you're loving them as God loves them? Because your love causes them to see Christ. Your love puts Christ's love on display. One commentator wrote it this way. They said, no word or deed, listen to that, no word or deed is loving that puts an obstacle in the way of others knowing the true value of the cross of Jesus. If your love somehow causes a hindrance, if your act, if your words cause a hindrance from someone seeing and understanding the great love that Christ has for them that sent them to the cross, then that's not true love. That's not genuine love. Because genuine love, love that comes from God, will always point people to him. So when you may think that it's loving to listen to your sister in Christ complain about her husband, but unless you are taking that conversation and pointing her to Christ, that is not loving. Or you may think it is loving to let your sister in Christ vent about her kids or to talk about her neighbor. But true love, genuine love, loving others like Christ has loved us will always put his love on display because love comes from God because God is love. And so we need to ask ourselves, do our actions help our sisters more fully know Christ and the power of his love? Do the things we say and the words, the things we say and the things that we do help other people, help our sisters in Christ know and love Jesus more fully? John reminds us there are many ways demonstrate your love for your sisters in Christ because you see them, right? You see the flesh and blood that he, God has put of the family of God in your circle of influence. You see them. You don't see God. And the number one way to demonstrate your love for God that is visible to other people is to love your sisters in Christ, is to love his kids. It reminds me of my mom. My mom, um, her birthday is on Christmas. So every Christmas we kind of had a double whammy, because you want to get someone, if their birthday's on Christmas, they kind of get shafted anyways. And so you're like, you know, you want to give them a present for their birthday, and you want to give them a present for Christmas. And that's hard, because when you're like 10 years old, you don't know what your mom wants anyway. So we would ask her, Mom, what do we want for Christmas? You know what my mom almost always said? I just want my kids to get along. Which was weird. I'm going to say, first of all, there's only two kids in the family, so this should not have been a difficult gift. That's the first thing. The second thing is, again, I'm thinking, how is this a gift for you, right? Like, how is me getting along with my sister a gift for my mom? That did not make sense to me until I became a mom because I want my kids to get along. And even more than that, I want my kids to love one another. And the greatest gift that they can give to me is to love their sibling. The greatest way that we can demonstrate our love for God is to love those that are precious to him, to love those who are his kids. 
Last week, we gave ourselves a grade on how we are doing in loving our sisters in Christ. And John, in this passage, gives us another way to assess that. He says, how would others evaluate, how would others grade your love for God based on how you love them? Because see, as Stacy mentioned, I'm a professor, and my students will often, every once in a while, have students who get papers back that they don't like the grade they've gotten. And they'll say to me, they'll say, but Dr. Winter, I really knew the material. And I'll say, I'm so glad you knew the material, but you never demonstrated it. There is nothing in this paper that shows that you understood what I was trying to teach you. And I'm not grading you based on what's in your head. I'm grading you based on what you can demonstrate. And God says, remember, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So how are others going to know whether we love Jesus? Based on how we love those who are in his family. So if you were to go home today and you were to ask your kids, how much do you think I love God based on how I love you? What would they say? Or if you were to ask your small group leader, based on the love and encouragement that I've shown you this year, how would you evaluate my love for God? Or if you were to ask your husband, what priority do you think God has in my life based on how encouraging and respectful and kind and helpful I've been to you? Or if you were to ask your mother-in-law, what would she say? How would you evaluate my love for God based on the love that I've shown for you? Because genuine love, the kind of love that Christ has shown us is always demonstrative. It is always visible. You can always see it. That is how Christ has loved us and that is how we should love others. Genuine love is active love. It is never passive or indifferent. Let me say that again. Genuine love is active. It is never passive or indifferent. It is not just enough to say, well, I haven't been mean to that person. Christ did far more than not be mean to you. Far more. And he says that is how we should love others. People should be able to look at our lives and say, based on how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a measure of the love that we have for God. John turns in our passage to a concept that kind of, if you were to summarize the, bo the book of 1 John, he has turned to time and time again. And he reminds us that loving God, loving others, and doing what God says are inextricably linked. Those three things, loving God, loving others, doing his, following his commandments, those things always go together. And he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. By this we know the, that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, as I mentioned, John talks about all those three things, those three things he's hit time and time again in this letter. Love God, love others, do what he says. But did you notice he switched the order a little bit? 
Instead of talking about, well, how do you know if you love God? He says, how do you know if you love the children of God? He starts, instead of saying with loving God, he says, how are we going to know if we truly love the children of God? Well, we know we love the children of God when we love God and when we obey his commandments. And then he reminds us that, the, that his commandments are not burdensome. And so if we want to genuinely, authentically love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to, point three, joyfully obey all of Christ's commands. As 1 John 4, 7 remind us, love comes from God. So we cannot truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ apart from doing what God says. Because his commands come from him. And so he gets to define, because God is love, love comes from God, we, he gets to define what love is. We have to love others on God's terms, not on our own and not on the world's. Which means that sometimes loving others, loving our sisters in Christ, loving those who are part of God's family may be difficult. It may cause heartache and pain. It may be inconvenient. But Christ demonstrated what true love is through his life. And we need to make sure that in, as we seek to love others as he does, that we love based on what he says love is, not based on anything else. And John gives us a bit of encouragement as he closes this passage when he says, his commandments are not burdensome. Now you may be thinking, I don't quite get that. Because you just told me about what it means to genuinely love others, to love God's kids according to his standards. And you said, it's extravagant, it's selfless, it's genuine, it's honest, and that seems like a lot. Not burdensome, are you kidding me? But it's interesting to know that word burdensome is not a word that's used frequently in the New Testament. It's just used a handful of times. And one of the few times it's used is in Matthew 23, 4, when Jesus is describing all of those extra biblical additional rules and regulations that the Pharisees placed on other people. He said all those additional things that the Pharisee says, well, if you really want to be God's kids, you'll do this, this, and this. Apart from what the Bible says, you're going to do all these other things. He said those things are burdensome. Because see, the Pharisees were trying to define what it meant to love God based on their terms. Not based on God's terms, but based on their terms. And those things were burdensome because they were doing them under their own power and strength. But the gospel makes it clear it is not by our own power and strength that we are right with God. It is not through our own power or strength that we are God's kids. It is through the cross of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven thirty, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can say his commandments are not burdensome because we are not doing them under our own power and strength. We are taking on Christ's burden and his burden is light. It reminds me of my kids. My kids are, um, they sometimes, I'm astounded by all that they want to do in a day. 
They, my kids are always up for an adventure, especially my daughter, and she'll be like, Mom, can we do this, 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 and this? Can we go on a hike? Can we have friends over for dinner? Can we do this, 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 and this? She's full of energy, and she always wants to do all these things, and sometimes I'm like, whoa, that's a lot. But you know what? The reason that my kids can plan all these things in their head and eagerly and joyfully look forward to doing all these things because they know they do not have to bear the burden of organizing the activities. They don't, if, if we hike up Saddleback Mountain, I'm not gonna leave them there if they get tired. They know that they don't have to worry about the finances. They can joyfully anticipate doing all these things because they know it is not up to them to make it happen. They're relying on those who love them. And ladies, we are not obeying Christ's command under our own strength. We should not be trying to love others under our own abilities. We love because Christ loved us, and it is his love pouring out and through us. So we can say, I can joyfully love in this way. I can eagerly anticipate doing all that God has said because it is not based on who I am. It is based upon who Christ is. And because of what Christ has done for me, because I recognize the great sacrifice he made on my behalf, I can respond with joy to doing that which pleases him. When I taught in the fall, I was talking with Pastor John about 1 John after I taught. And Pastor John had pre preached in the narrow on 1 John. And so we were kind of joking about how 1 John, there's a, there's a lot of redundancy there's a lot of things, and so you have to kind of think, well, how can, I, how can I say love God, love others, do what he says in a different way, right? And John, the, the writer John, is so wonderful because he is taking this concept that is so important for what it means to be a Christ follower, and he's saying love God, love others, do what he says, and he's having us look through it through various lens, through various angles. And I've got to believe that one of the reasons that he's so reiterated this time and time again in this relatively short letter. The reason that he kept coming back to love God, love others, do what God says, is because he recognized that this is both the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower and because he also recognized that it is in these areas that we most often fail to exhibit Christ in our lives. May we increasingly do all three of these things better. May we increasingly rely on Christ's love poured out through us to genuinely love his kids. And as, our, as a result of that, may we joyfully do all that he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, what great love you have shown us through the life and the death and the resurrection of your son. We can't even totally understand the magnitude of your love, the riches and depths of it. And yet, Father, we are so grateful for how you have poured out your love on our lives. And we ask, Father, that as we receive that love as we rely on it, as we anticipate your coming judgment, that you would help us to be conduits of your love to those who are your kids. 
Father, I ask that you be with the ladies now as they meet in their small groups. I ask that it would be a time of encouragement, but it also would be a time of conviction, and not conviction alone, but motivation, that they would, even today, that they would say, how can I love God better by showing his love to a sister in Christ? Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to study your word together. Help us to not just be mere hearers of the word, but to do what it says, because we love you, because you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.